Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning and welcome to Living Ways live stream message this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you're new with us at church today, I especially want to welcome you to Living Way Church. We're so glad you're here. To celebrate, we love to pledge a $5 donation on your behalf to a charity of your choice. This is something new we're doing here at Living Way Church, and it's a really simple process. Simply head to TLW, the Living Way, TLW.church, and click on the I'm New card. From there, fill out the form, and we'll send you an email asking which charity you wish us to donate to. And that's it. So again, you can take out your phone right now. You can do this right now. Head to tlw.church, fill out the I'm New form, and we'll pledge that $5 donation before you leave church today. I would like to start off this morning and say that I am so grateful to be with you this morning. I can honestly say that I have sincerely missed getting together personally to see each and every one of you. And I miss my Amazon family as well. Being quarantined by my doctor due to my heart and asthma has been by no means fun. Nevertheless, I'm grateful that even though we're unable to gather physically to see familiar faces, to gather as the body of Christ, I am grateful for the technology that we have available to be able to still gather together corporately this morning. <clears throat> I want you to know that even though church buildings all across this world may be closed today, the church will survive. The church throughout history has been resilient to whatever comes along. And so through this road bump in the history of the church, the church will thrive. It is now more than ever when the church is faced with the greatest adversities that it shines the brightest with the love of Jesus. All by the grace of God. We are at a unique place in our world today due to a pandemic that has caught our world by surprise. Anxiety and fear are rampant. People are panic buying toilet paper. They're spreading all kinds of mis- and disinformation throughout social media. It's sometimes difficult to tell what the truth is and what is not. All with the effect of causing our keisters to pucker and our minds to misfire. Many of us appear to be lost and uncertain how to navigate life well at this time. Sometimes, the answers to the most difficult questions are found in the simplest of terms. The problem is that we like the complex. The American church has spent much of its time discussing being missional, serving the community, while oftentimes failing to care for and serve the body we are, <clears throat> we are desperate to, pray, to put prayer back in the school and when we spend so little time in prayer alone. We rail against same-sex marriage but fail to speak about the long-term impact that pornography has on marriages right inside our church. You see, it always looks good when we're trying to solve the world's problems. That is, if we're trying to impress the world. But we have oftentimes failed to truly build the body, to build disciples of Jesus. And that is the very core of what the church has been called to do. We are called to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to do all that Jesus has commanded of us. This is our first and greatest commandment, and its primary focus is on the church. Now don't misunderstand me. I do believe that the church is called to be present within the community. But the community is not the focus of the church. 
The church's focus is the church and building believers into disciples. How do we know that we have failed? Look at the average believer and the average non-believer. Is there a difference in the anxiety levels right now? The truth is, oftentimes, there simply isn't. However, there certainly should be. If we believe that we follow a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sovereign over our lives, and this virus even, then why are we struggling so much? Why is there so much anxiety and stress in our lives? Part of the problem is that we have built disciples who are amazing at seeing the needs of the community, coming up with solutions, and implementing those solutions. But they're completely incapable of coming up with spiritual answers to the needs within their own lives. It's time we return to the basics of the faith. It's time we return to a simple faith in a perfect, faithful God who is able. It's time we return to a simple faith that puts 100% of its faith in the words of Scripture and then lives as though that were true. It's time for our complex, messed up lives to be restored, renewed, and rejuvenated by a simple faith in simply Jesus. And by His grace, we'll find peace in the midst of this crazy world in which we find ourselves right now. If this is what you need today, then Psalm 91 is exactly what you need. It's what I need. Maybe you know someone else who needs to hear this today. Send them the link and an invite to join us. Start a watch party or whatever it is they do. I don't really know what that is. I just know that it's a thing. We're going to look at Psalm 91 with the hope of finding our way back to a simple faith in Jesus Christ, who is perfectly faithful to us. Amen. As we've seen in the previous two psalms that we've looked at recently, this psalm is also tied to another close by. Psalm 91 is intimately tied to Psalm 90. And I'm hopefully going to make that connection well for you. We'll try. Let's start by looking at the structure of Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is comprised of three sections. The first section is found in verses 1 and 2. This is our author's declaration of faith in a perfect, faithful God. Then, in verses 3 through 13, the bulk of our psalm, our author is going to declare the protection that comes from our perfect, faithful God in the midst of trials. And then, in final in the final section, our perfectly faithful God speaks directly to us and assures us of his eternal protection. So let's look more closely at our psalm. The author starts off Psalm 91 by writing in verse 1, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Our author begins with this idea that God is a dwelling place, just as he did in Psalm 90, where he writes, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. You see, we need to see this as a challenge today for us, from our author, to find our strength, our courage, and our peace in our relationship with Jesus and only with him. We need to seek to dwell or find our lives within Jesus and Jesus alone. When anxiety and stress come, we need to look beyond our circumstances, whether they be big or small. We need to know that the true security and safety can only come through our relationship with the one who created us. We need to trust in the perfectly faithful Jesus above all else. 
Next, in verse 2, we read, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 91 begins with a simple statement. If you make the active choice to dwell in the shelter provided by God, Most High, you will find rest under His protective care. Do you trust He's going to do that? Why do we struggle, however? Why do so many of us not seem to find this rest and protection that is offered? Because when we don't feel like it, we can choose not to dwell in the Most High. Listen, we can't simply go to Him when it's convenient and think He's going to just make everything better. This dwelling and resting in Him must be a constant reality for us. If God is the Most High and the Almighty, the absolute authority and power in and over all things, then why would we only go to Him when we need Him? Why would we not seek to find our dwelling place and refuge and safety in Him always and at all times? We need to make a shift in our thinking so that a shift in our reality can come. We need to stop seeing our relationship with God as brief moments in time when we are at church or praying or reading the Bible or speaking to Him when we need something. He is ever-present, always with us. Everything that we do is either building our relationship with Jesus or getting in the way. Every decision we make, every thought that we have, everything that we say, we need to realize that we are at all times dwelling in the protection of our perfectly faithful Jesus. We need to realize that all we do, think, and say affects that relationship. That relationship was marred when all of mankind fell into sin. And the only way to begin to restore that is to continually find our dwelling place in the shelter of our perfectly faithful Savior, Jesus. It is a simple faith in our perfectly faithful Jesus. Verse 2 finishes with a promise. My God in whom I trust. Do you trust in Jesus? If so, then know that right now our perfectly faithful God is extending His shadow over you so that you might dwell in Him and find shelter and rest. The unfortunate part of life is that troubles and trials are going to come. In verses 3 through 13, we see that. Our author presents all kinds of troubles that would have possibly befallen people during this time, the time of this writing. He speaks of the fowler's snare, dread pestilence, the terror of the night, arrows that fly by day, pestilence and plague, and death, and the lion, and the cobra. Hidden in these verses, however, is all that you need to know in order to come each and every one of these trials and every trial that may ever come. First and foremost, and of greatest importance, in verse 3 we read, Surely He will save you. Surely He will save you. The most important thing our perfect faithful Jesus has ever done for us was to offer Himself in our place as a sacrifice to God that we might know forgiveness from sin. And in so doing, He has saved us eternally. Our job is to simply have faith in our perfectly faithful God, Jesus. Verses 8-10 through 10 are perhaps the most difficult for believers to grasp. And unfortunately, are oftentimes used by unbelievers even as ammunition to throw at us and to poke at our faith. And in the end, unfortunately, to solidify their own unbelief. The problem for us is that sometimes these verses can be difficult and may even cause us to stumble in our own faith, particularly in the face of adversity and uncertainty. So let's look at these verses 
You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, The Lord is my refuge, and make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. We have a problem, right? Our author seems to be implying that the one who trusts in our perfectly faithful God will not run into any trouble whatsoever. But we see otherwise. We are left with two questions. Is our faith lacking? Or is it the faithfulness of God that is lacking? Well, perhaps the problem is that we're not asking the right questions. Or we're misunderstanding the passage. If we look at the whole of the passage, we've already mentioned all kinds of troubles that may befall a person. The authors already recognize troubles are going to come. So what is our God trying to say to us? Unfortunately for us, the direct intervention of God into human history is shrouded in mystery. In Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be thrown into a massive fiery furnace by the king, Nebuchadnezzar. This is how they respond to the king concerning this in verses 16 through 18. It's important for us to hear these words because it helps us to understand the passage we're looking at. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. In the case of these three friends, Jesus intervened and saved them from the midst of the fires. We know that Jesus intervenes at times in the lives of those who place their faith in him. But when and how he chooses to intervene is entirely to his choosing and is only controlled by his sovereign purpose. No amount of prayer or conjoling will move the heart of God to do something that runs contrary to that purpose. Sometimes troubles and trials fulfill his purpose, even the death of someone. Jesus' death is a perfect example of this. It was necessary for us to be forgiven for our sins and ultimately saved us to eternal life. If God's own son's death could be used to the benefit of God's creation, could he not choose to bring about the death of one of us if it meant greater benefit for us and for his creation and for his church? It is not uncommon for believers to have come to faith through the death of a loved one. The point of this passage is that whatever comes our way we have but a simple faith. And a simple faith in a perfectly faithful God will look like a mountain of faith to this broken and hurting world in the face of adversity. A simple faith in a perfectly faithful God is able to find peace and rest in all circumstances because we know that Jesus is faithful to us. Jesus says in verses 11 and 12 that he will command his angels concerning us to guard us in all our ways. They will lift us in their hands so that we will not strike our foot against a stone. Our perfect, faithful God commands the angels to protect us. Just think about that for a moment. His love for us is so extensive that he commands his angels, spiritual beings, all-powerful almost, to protect us. We have an army of angels at our back. All we need is a simple faith and a perfectly faithful God. Then in verses 14 through 16, we have a shift in the speaker. It is no longer the author that is speaking to us, but rather it is our perfectly faithful God who has chosen to now directly address us. 
He says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him. For he acknowledges my name, he will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. It is absolutely amazing that this psalm of a simple faith finishes with the most spectacular event. God himself addresses each one of us directly. These words of assurance come directly from the lips of our perfectly faithful God, Jesus Christ. Our perfectly faithful Jesus promises in these last several verses that he will rescue us, he will protect us, he will listen to us and answer our prayers, he will be with us, he will deliver us and honor us, and ultimately that our perfect faithful God will give us not simply long life, but eternal life through the salvation brought about by the sacrifice of our perfectly faithful God, Jesus. And he does this not only because of all the chaos and craziness in this world, but more often than not, he does this because of what we bring into our own lives. But we have a perfect, faithful God, regardless of what we do. A simple faith. Two weeks from now begins what is commonly called Holy Week. First, we'll celebrate Palm Sunday and two Sundays, and then culminating that week, the following Sunday from that, with Easter when we celebrate the risen Jesus. We tend to focus on those two Sundays, but it's the entire week that's important to us. It is during this week that we're called to remember Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday as he's walking toward his impending death. It's during this week that we remember Jesus' torture and beating for crimes he did not commit. It is during this week that we remember Jesus' death on the cross for sins, for sins that we ourselves committed. We remember that God the Father poured out all of his wrath and anger towards our sin. All of the punishment that we deserve was poured out upon his son. And his son died. Our perfect, faithful Savior, Jesus, died that we might have life. And three days later, in order to seal that life that he gave to us, he himself, by the power of the Holy Spirit, arose to life, conquering death eternally. Why? Because Jesus is our perfectly faithful God. A simple faith. A simple faith in the story that I just told is all it takes. Faith that Jesus was more than just a man, but is our perfect, faithful God. When we have this simple faith in him, we have all that Psalm 91 declares. Every truth revealed in Psalm 91 is true of us. If you have placed your faith in the free gift that Jesus has offered you in his death, burial, and resurrection, then all of this is true of us. We now dwell in the shelter of the Most High. We will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. The Lord is our refuge and our fortress. God will save us. He will cover us with his protection. His perfect faithfulness is our shield. He has commanded his angels to guard us and to lift us up. God will protect us. He hears our prayers and he answers them. God is with us. Jesus will deliver us and honor us. Jesus will grant us eternal life and will satisfy us at a table that he himself has prepared for us because Jesus is our perfect, faithful Savior. A simple faith. Imagine if we exercise a simple faith in a perfectly faithful God, what can we not do? What can stand in our way? If our perfect, faithful God has called us to proclaim the gospel, and he has, 
Why do we not act more? Many of us have been called by God to do things greater than ourselves, and we will experience moments of self-doubt and uncertainty. In fact, at times, we may have actually been discouraged by other well-meaning believers. But if God has called you, then the only, failure, fa the only failure you can face is inaction. If we will just exercise a simple faith in our perfect, faithful God, Jesus will lead us to move mountains. What is that mountain standing in your way right now? To be honest, as a church, we see mountains. As a pastor, I see mountains. For us as a church right now, it's finances. We have so few of us as a church plant. We need to be able to meet in a more suitable location so that we might be able to grow and become the church God has called us to become. A church that raises up disciples. A church that plants other churches. A church that raises up pastors and invests in them to go and plant those churches. This is our calling. This is the dream that God has given to me and to us as a church. And at times, there appear to be mountains, but our God is perfectly faithful. And in this time, we know that he will move that mountain. Maybe you're part of that. I don't know. If so, we thank you for giving and helping us see that dream that God has given to us as a church to welcome, to come to life. What dream has, given to you, what dream has God given to you, though? What has he asked you to do? A simple faith is all it takes. A simple faith and a perfectly faithful God will move mountains and bring about his call in your life. Be strong and of good courage because our perfect faithful God wants to show you his faith towards you. A simple faith in our perfect faithful Savior Jesus is all it takes. Let us pray. Father God, our perfect, faithful God, we come to you during this time of uncertainty in our world, a time when so many are sick and dying, and so many more will most likely become sick and die. We come to you today because so many of us are unsettled. We're stressed. We're anxious. Jesus, today we lack the strength and courage to be at peace. So we ask that you would fill us with your faith, that the faith within us would not be our own fleeting and failing faith, but fill us with your perfect faith, the faith of our perfectly faithful God. Help us to find peace and rest as we dwell in the shelter of your shadow and grace. Jesus, we pray that you would rescue us, protect us, be with us, deliver us, honor us. We pray that we would extend eternal life to those who today have come to faith in you. We thank you, Lord, that you have saved us from the penalty of sin. And more than anything, we thank you that you hear our prayers and that you answer. And now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go by the grace of God, knowing his peace and rest that comes through the faith of our perfect, faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, and thank you.